Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The phone rang at about half past five, very early in the morning, and it was my mother. And he said, Jane... I want you to brace yourself, she said, because I've got some bad news for you. One of your brothers is dead. Daniel's dead. It's just over six weeks now since a private detective called Daniel Morgan was found dead in a car park of a pub in South London. It was gruesome. He'd been killed with an axe. 30 years ago, a private detective was brutally murdered and it still hasn't been solved. I'm Peter Jukes, and I'll be exploring how one man and his family began to unravel the truth. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. If you haven't heard this story, ask yourself, why? Welcome back to the Daniel Morgan murder podcast. And let me tell you what we now know of the crime scene of Daniel's murder. Warning, there are some graphic images ahead. Daniel Morgan's body was found around 9.40pm in the car park at the back of the Golden Lion pub in Sydenham, lying between his car and another. Forensics would show he had been struck three times on the back of the head with an axe. Any of those three blows would have killed him instantly. But while he lay prone on the ground, the killer stood over him and landed a fourth blow to his face, which was so forceful it severed his brainstem. The axe was left in the body. Nearby on the gravel were Daniel's car keys and two bags of crisps he had bought for his two young children. His expensive Rolex watch was not found on the body, but in his jacket pocket was a thousand pounds in cash he'd collected earlier that day from his office. The right-hand trouser pocket of Daniel's brand-new suit was also torn at the seam. Previously on episode one, we discovered the origins of Daniel's detective firm, Southern Investigations, which he'd set up with his business partner, Jonathan Rees. We also discovered that they'd fallen out badly, partly due to a cash-in-transit run that Rees had organised with some friendly police officers that ended up with a suspicious heist. Rees was known as a police groupie in London in the 1980s, and his very good friend was a man called Detective Sergeant Sid Fillory, also known as the king of Catford Crime Squad. In the days before his death, Daniel had been obsessed by police corruption, and various sources say 
he was planning to sell that story to Fleet Street, the British press. On the morning after the murder, after hearing the dreadful news, Alistair wanted to talk to one person above all. I was obviously in shock, you know, and I put the phone down. And what I wanted to do at that point was to ring up Jonathan Rees to find out what had happened. I wanted to be prepared in my mind when I went up to London. I wanted to know what I was going to be facing. What was Jonathan Rees like in those days? Well, here's Laurie Flynn, co-author of the seminal book on police corruption, The Untouchables, describing Rees and Fillory. He met them both many times. Reese was a different kind of man. He grew up in, in Yorkshire. He struck me as someone who was much less jocular than his pal Sid, much more serious and driven, and much sharper in his insights, into his cunning. I mean, he was much less easy to take to. Reese always struck me as someone who was clearly the brain was whirring. Desperate to find out more from his brother's company, Alistair had to wait five hours until the office opened. I had to wait until about nine because he wouldn't be in the office and I rang up and my brother's office manager, Peter Newby, answered the telephone. And... I said to him, Peter, Peter, what's happened? And he said, I think I'd better hand you over to John. So I, I, I then began talking to Jonathan Reese, and I said, what's happened? What's happened, John? And he said, we said, Daniel and I had a meeting arranged last night at a pub in Sydenham. And he said, do you know Sydenham? And I said, no, I don't, I don't know. He said it was a kind of grotty area, was how he described it, full of druggies and all that, he said. And then he said, Daniel and I were going to meet a third party. And I thought, don't talk to me about meeting third parties when my brother is dead, John. And uh, he said Daniel had gone out to the car park and he'd been mugged, fatally mugged in the car park. Mugged, implying a robbery. Yeah. And I said to him, what did they, what did they do to him, John? What, what did they do it with? How did they, how did they kill him? And then he sort of hesitated, and he said, I think he was bludgeoned to death. Which implies blunt trauma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And anyway, I remember, I said, right, I'm coming up to London now, John. And I, I, I remember I wanted to see him. Bludgeoned, fatally mugged, a third party present. Things get garbled in a crisis, but what is clear even 30 years later was that Alistair was now deeply suspicious of his brother's business partner, Jonathan Rees, and wanted to see him face to face. I got to the office. Jonathan Rees wasn't there. And Peter Newby and Tony Pierce were in the office. Employees and, of, of Yes, Southern they were employees of Southern Investigations. And they were looking absolutely traumatised. They were. And they told me that Jonathan Rees was with the police. At this precise moment in time, Jonathan Rees was giving a statement under caution as one of the last known people to see Daniel alive. Rees had been informed of Daniel's murder at home around midnight the night before. According to the police officers present, his wife Sharon had carried on watching TV despite the shocking news. So Rees was taken to the police station for a routine forensic test on his clothes. But he'd been at home for hours. He was wearing slippers when the police arrived. The next morning, Reese's good friend, Detective Sergeant Sid Fillory from Catford CID, was assigned to the murder squad. 
partially because Daniel had been killed in his police area. It was Fillory who turned up at Southern Investigations to take Reese away for interview. Witnesses also claim he took some documents. Daniel's office diary was removed and some files on Belmont auctions, a cash-in-transit security job which Fillory had set up with Reese the year before, during which £18,000 had been stolen in mysterious circumstances. Failing to see Reese face to face, Alistair went back to Daniel's detached house in Norwood Green to see the family. So I left and then I went round to my brother's house and, God, that was an awful moment. Walking up to the door of my brother's house and uh, thinking, you know, what am I going to find here now? You know, How, how old were his children? Then? Well, there were two children, six years old and four years old, you know, little young children. I remember... I remember I actually sat down and broke down on the doorstep. You know, I, 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 I couldn't, um, I just didn't know what to do. And, I, and then I, I, I kind of pulled myself together and knocked on the door, walked in, and it was, oh, it was awful, awful. Everyone was just in an awful state of shock, and there were a lot of tears. And probably within an hour or so, a car pulled up outside. I was watching because I knew my mother was going to be coming up. You know, From Wales? From Wales, yeah. And the, I saw this car pull up, and then I saw my mother getting out of the car, and I thought, well, I've got to go out. And I walked out into the street. I knew that she didn't know what had happened to him. And then I had to tell her, you know, I had to say, Mum, Mum, uh, Daniel was murdered. She just, she dropped the bag in the street and just screamed out loud and ran up the road, you know, and I had to just run up the road after her and, and sort of grab hold of her and hold, hug her, you know. Awful, awful. And she was, no, you know, no, you know, it's just awful. And, th and then I, I took her into the house, and um, I think somebody got a, some brandy out or something like that, and, and, and we had a shot of brandy because I needed one myself. Jane, the youngest of the family, was also the last to find out that her brother Daniel had been murdered. And he must have told me, and Daniel's been murdered at this point now because... I knew that. Yeah. Well, then I just went completely berserk, shock. It can't be. It can't be Daniel. It can't be murdered. There were several of us sitting around the kitchen table, and then Jonathan Rees suddenly appeared at the back door of the house. Now, that was how people who knew Daniel would come to the house. And he came in, and I was watching him. He looked kind of manic, is the word I would describe it. Uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable, tense, really tense. And I said, well, John, this is my mother. He'd never met my mother before. And he said something like, hello, dear. And that was all he said, you know. Anyway, he, he seemed in a hurry to go. And he, I remember him, he was trying to get out. And I said, no, hang on a minute, John. I said, hang on a minute. I said, I want to talk to you, John. This was on the patio at the back of Daniel's house. He said, okay, he said, okay, Alistair, I, it's, it's going to be nasty. And I said, well, of course it's going to be nasty. You know, my brother's just been killed. Of course, it's going to be nasty. And he said, uh, OK, then, sort of reluctantly, and he said, well, there's a pub nearby we can go to to talk. So I said, yeah, fine, let's go along there. One of the first things he said in the pub was, I've been to the mortuary. It was still in his head. And then, and then I said to him, what was it, John? What did they kill him with? And he said, it was something between a machete and a cleaver, Japanese. He gave me this description, which in my conjured up in my mind some kind of oriental martial arts a triad tool. killing. Or yeah, something yeah, like something like that, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. So I had this kind of weird image of some kind of 
ivory-handled Japanese or Chinese sword. Okay, we know from sworn witnesses at the inquest that Reese was taken by Fillory to identify Daniel's body earlier that day. But we also know from the same witnesses the axe had been removed during a post-mortem. When Reese and Fillory saw Daniel, his wounds had been suited and cleaned up, and he looked peaceful in a viewing room. How could Reese have still seen the axe in his head? Had he somehow seen him the night before? Or was it just something somebody else had said? And why tell Alistair this gruesome detail if he hadn't seen it? The confusion of the moment, perhaps. One note about this oriental axe. Though it was made in China and called a diamond brand, it was actually a perfectly standard, normal hand axe. I thought, I want to go to... I need to read the newspapers quickly. I need to get see what I can find out from the newspapers. So I, I went to the... The nearest newsagent, I think it was probably about a quarter of a mile away, I walked to the nearest newsagent, and I remember there was a copy of the Evening Standard, and I bought this paper, walked out of the shop, opened it up, and there, on page three, or the top of corner of page three, was a picture of my brother's face in the newspaper. And it, it was, I remember thinking then, this is not a bad dream. In it, it said it was a 14-inch axe, a hatchet, you know, right, like right, a... Right, yeah, so quite a big uh, axe. Not well, I mean, size, yeah. the kind of thing that people have in the garden shed to chop up it's a firewood, it, firewood, yes, yes, yeah. to make kindling, yeah. Yeah, and I thought, and I remember thinking, well, if you were at the, at the mortuary and you saw it in his head, why are you leaving me with the impression there's some kind of martial arts tool? Because there was nothing martial arts nothing, about Nothing, no, no, it was a ordinary... Hand axe. Hand axe. Yeah. I thought he's trying to dissociate himself from it in some way. I'd read in the earlier in the day in the Evening Standard report that the axe had been taped, that the assailant, the killer, had put rings of elastoplast up above and below the place where the hand, right, in order to wouldn't. grip it, you know, in order to stop it slipping, if you like. And, and then I thought, well, he was probably wearing gloves so as not yeah. to leave fingerprints. And it all seemed to me, I thought this was planned. By now, with all this misinformation about the axe, about a mugging, about a third party being present, you can see why Alastair was deeply suspicious and wanted to talk to the authorities. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right, so now's a good time for a brief interlude about the Metropolitan Police Force. It's one of the oldest police forces in the world. Founded in 1829 by Sir Robert Peel, its officers were known as Bobbies or Peelers. Internationally, the British police have a pretty good reputation. In fact, there's a joke that expresses this. It's called heaven and hell. So heaven is where the French are the chefs, the Italians are the lovers, the British are the police, the Germans are the mechanics, and the Swiss make everything run on time. But hell is where the British are the chefs, the Swiss are the lovers, the French are the mechanics, the Italians make everything run on time, and the Germans are the police. But is this reputation for good policing deserved? Well, maybe not so much today. It's worth recalling the marvellous quote, a good police force catches more criminals than it employs one of the most uh, telling aphorisms of the 1970s. Well, supposedly, by the mid-80s, the Met had been cleaned up, reformed, refurbished, and the, the extremely important work of uh, Sir Robert Mark was bedded in. And once again, we had the greatest police force in the world. This is an enduring myth. Of course, not a lot of people really knew that at the time. I didn't. And back in March 1987, Alistair had no reason to distrust the police and actually wanted to help them. I can remember we drove to Sydenham and I walked up to the front desk at the police station. I said, uh, hi, my name's Alistair Morgan. I'd like to talk to somebody on the Daniel Morgan murder investigation squad. I said, is Sid Fillory on the squad? Just a word about the original Daniel Morgan murder squad. It was headed up by Detective Superintendent Douglas Campbell and his second was Detective Inspector Alan Jones, who Alistair met that day. We sat down at the table, and, and he looked at me and he said, and what were you doing last night then? And I, I was just totally taken aback by this approach, and I said, I remember I was quite angry. I said, look, Inspector, I said, I, I don't like your tone. I said, I, my brother's just been brutally murdered. I said, I've come here to help you, and you, you know, before I've opened my mouth, you're treating me like a suspect. The interview had got off to a, a really bad start. And then the next thing he asked me, he said, what do you know about women in your brother's life? I said to him, I said to um, D.I. Jones, I said, look, I, wanted, I don't want to talk to you about this. I said, I want to talk to Sid Fillory. I said, is he here? And he said, no, he's out on inquiries at the moment. And I said, well, when can I see him? And he said, you'll have to come back tomorrow afternoon. Getting nowhere with the police... Alistair took the first of what would be many, many journeys to the crime scene, the car park behind the Golden Lion in Sydney. It was already dark, but less than 24 hours since his brother had been murdered. So we drove down the road. It was only literally a few hundred yards away. The Golden Lion. And, yeah, and we drove into the car park. We went back to the crime scene a few months ago. Nearly 29 years after his brother's murder, Alistair's memory of the place is still fresh. It was dark. That's the, that was the first impression I got. It was, there was very, very little light. Unlike, there's now a block of flats there, but before it was just a row of trees. Pop 
poplar trees, oh, yeah. thick, thick trees. Over there, as you can see, there's nobody looking in, if you like, from that place there. And on that side, there's a the, the wall of a supermarket. So there was, it was just nobody could look into this place, and it was dark. And I don't know why, but instinctively, I just thought that this was where this. And I was right when just I later saw wall. photograph. Yeah, just just here I thought this is this is where they because that's also a dark that corner was even extra, that was extra dark you know so just to describe the scene there's a there's the pub outside on the main street the pub is about 50 yards yeah, away a there's long a way away yeah. and there's a long alleyway that goes past quite extensive beer garden but the beer garden is kind of covered the aspect they're covered with ivy you can't see from there and then cars would park here wouldn't they so there were yeah there were a few cars parked on either side of this car park probably about half a dozen I think when I came here and when you came there was no crime scene that no there was no cordon there was no sign that anything unusual had happened here at all as you can see from this description it was a perfect place for an assassination Alistair explained more when we got back to the studio if, if you if, if you shoot somebody then there's an, there's gunshot if you if you stab somebody they can, run. They can scream or yeah. run or fight back but if you hit somebody on the head with an axe, it's immediate. Now, the other important thing about the Golden Lion is this was not a regular pub of Reese or Daniel. In fact, they never went there, except for the night before the murder, where they met with Fillory and there was some kind of argument, according to witnesses. So why did Daniel go back for only the second visit of his life? And of course, why did he park round the back? Was it important that the Golden Lion came under Catford? and the Sid Fillery's CID catchment. By now, given all the red herrings about axes, muggings, third parties, affairs, Alistair was beginning to think that Rhys had been feeding him misinformation and probably also feeding the police. Like any good detective, Alistair decided to check out his hypothesis and after consulting with a friend, laid the bait to test Rhys. We drove to a call box and I rang Rhys and his wife answered the phone. And I said, um, is, uh, can I speak to Jonathan? Oh, he's not here at the moment, she said. And I said, well, look, can you tell him that I've been to the police and that they've asked me questions about Daniel's private life that I didn't want to answer until I'd spoken to him? And I said, I said, I'm going back to Iris's house now. Can you ask him to ring me? So I walked from the call box to my sister-in-law's house, which was about 100 yards. I remember I walked in through the door, just about had time to sit down, and the phone rang. This is before it, mobile phones, yeah, that he wasn't around. Yeah, 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 yeah. well, the phone rang very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So I picked up the phone, and it was him, and he said, what's this, Alistair, what's this? I knew he was desperate to find out, you see, what what the police had suggested to me about his private life. And I said, look, John, I can't talk here. We need to go out to talk about this. So I put the phone down, put my jacket on again, walked out the front door, walked... Oh, God, it couldn't have been 100 yards down the street, and he was there in the car. I remember thinking, I'm getting into this car now. Um, oh, is it safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know... Uh, this is a man whom I believe has murdered my brother and I'm getting into a car with him, you know? So I thought, right, okay, I'll get in the car. And, and I remember he wanted to know instantly. He said, what's this, what's this? 
and I thought, I'll keep him waiting. And I said, look, let's go somewhere where we can uh, talk. Anyway, we walked into this place, and I thought, I'll buy the drinks. And I can remember I bought myself a Guinness, because I wanted him to wait. Ah, oh, so you were milking it. Yeah, I, was, I, I wanted him to wait. I explained to him what the police had asked me. I said, what was Daniel doing? He said, Alistair. He had half a dozen women on the side that I knew about, and there was probably another half a dozen that I didn't. So I thought, oh... Well, this is exactly. multiple red herrings. Yeah, 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 exactly. What he was making out was that I thought my brother was worked hard. Mm. You know, he drove, I mean, uh, a prodigious sort of sexual appetite, you know, and I mean, I knew it was complete rubbish. Some personal background to the marriage of Daniel Morgan and Iris. Their marriage was in difficulties. Daniel did have a girlfriend, a casual affair with a woman, a married woman called Margaret Harrison. Actually, he'd met Margaret Harrison in a wine bar an hour or two before he went to the Golden Lion the night he was murdered. As it turned out, Margaret Harrison was also being pursued at that time by Jonathan Rees, and they actually live together now. So, was jealousy a motive? And the irony is, if Rees is planting the idea of jealousy as a motive, well, wouldn't he be one of the jealous ones? Anyway, by this point, Jane had arrived from Germany, with her husband, Justin. My job then was just to comfort my mother, who was in a worse emotional mess than me. She just seemed to be in a duffel coat, all buttoned up and toggled up and sort of cold and shaking and catatonic. And I can remember on about the second day that I'd reached London, Alistair coming to tell my mother and I in the evening he had a suspicion that Jonathan Rees was behind Danny's murder. And I was just absolutely dumbfounded that he thought that John... A, thought that John Rees had done it, because sort of Danny's life had seemed so sort of normal, not a sort of person... I don't know what sort of person gets murdered, but you don't feel your brother, who's just a normal guy. And, and Jonathan Rees, by the same vein, just seemed like a normal guy, not a murderer. So Daniel both didn't seem like a victim, and yeah. it, this one didn't seem like a person who would murder someone. So, And I was at the stage, I'd, I remember I'd had a nightmare the, that night, the night before, that, that the police had told me that they'd found a person who'd killed Daniel, and it was a drug addict. And he'd killed Danny because he thought he was Humpty Dumpty and smashed his head like an egg. And so I'm there dreaming that somebody killed Danny because they, they were on high drugs, class A drugs, and thought he was Humpty Dumpty. And Alistair is so many so many leagues ahead of me that he's actually thinks he knows who killed Daniel. And he's going to tell the police tomorrow. On the 12th of March, two days after the murder, Alistair finally got to see Detective Sergeant Sid Villery. Here at last was a police officer he'd met, someone his brother knew, someone he could trust. Perhaps now he'd finally get somewhere. I showed up in the afternoon. I was shown into this little interview room. It was a rather spartan, unwelcoming little place with sort of bars on the window and a, and a kind of big steel ashtray on the floor. So I came in and sat with Fillory. And 
I then went over everything that had gone through my mind, everything that I'd seen, all my conversations with Reese, how he'd behaved, and I told them really what I've said so far. I told him uh, my suspicions about Belmont. Mm. And then when I raised the Belmont thing, he said, what robbery was that then? I didn't even know the name of Belmont. Right. It was, Belmont. It was, just, it was just a, yeah. a firm of car auctionies. That's yeah. all I knew. It was quite obvious that I was very, very suspicious of Reese. We're pursuing a number of lines of inquiry at the moment. He said, we can't go rushing down what could be a blind alley simply on your gut feeling. Is that what he said? Yeah, that's what he said. Now, neither of the officers were taking any notes of what I was saying. And I just thought... They, they're not listening to me. And anyway, I was getting up to go, and, and, and Fillory said to me, he said, if you've got any issues, you can ring me about it, and we can go and have a pint together and talk about it. We now have much more information about what Fillory was doing, both before the murder and immediately afterwards. Important to note that, despite seeming oblivious to the Belmont car auctions heist, it was Fillory who'd set up the team to do the cash-in-transit job a year before. Let's not forget that, of course, Reese, Daniel and Fillory had met in the Golden Lion on the Monday night, the night before the murder. On the Tuesday morning, there were phone records indicating that Reese had called Fillory at Catford Police Station. A few hours after interviewing Alistair on the evening of the 12th on the Wednesday, Fillory submitted a verbal report to the murder squad. That report referred to Reese's statement he'd taken the previous day and very much went down the line of adulterous affairs and potentially jealous partners. In his report, Fillory passed on information that Daniel was having yet another affair, not with Margaret Harrison, and indeed having an affair with this other woman's sister. Well, it's pretty obvious, at least to me, in which direction Fillory is trying to steer the investigation. The next day, while Alistair was out following leads and making his own investigations, Detective Sergeant Fillory of the murder squad called the traumatised Morgan family. Iris' brother-in-law, Joe Harty, his job was to answer the phone. And in the afternoon, he came to me and he said, Jane, um, I've just had a call, he said, from Sergeant Sid Fillory at the murder squad incident room. And um, he said he's a great friend of Daniel's, great friend of Daniel's, and he, he's going to shift heaven and high earth to catch Danny's killers. But, he said, we, there's a problem he asked if you could, if the family could try and get Alistair out of London because he's muddying the waters and hindering the investigation. And I thought, oh, my God, now on top of Danny being dead, now Alistair is... His theory that Jonathan Reese has behind Daniel's mm. killing is way off beam. And causing and problems. And causing problems. And I was thinking, oh, no, we don't need this on top of that. And we'll have to try and get Alice because you, you, you believe the police. I did. Thought, yes. I'd never heard of Sid Fillory. And I, I did remember thinking, well, if he's such a great friend of Daniel's, how come Daniel has never spoken of his great friend, Sergeant Sid Fillory? But nevertheless... You trust the police. You could trust the police. And so, oh, then, then, then I went and told my mother... And we thought, how on earth can we... What possible excuse, lie, can you make to get Alistair out of London at this time without telling him the truth? So I put this to Alistair. Please, can we leave London? Let's just go home to Wales, where we can be together, not split up in other people's houses. And 
um, get Mum home and try and nurture her. Uh, Jane or Justin said, Alistair, the police have rung up and said that you're getting in the way of the inquiry. And then, and then Justin, who was an army officer, said, Alistair, leave it, you leave it to the professionals. And I said, God, I said, if you'd seen the people that I'd been talking to so far, you wouldn't be talking about that. I said, they didn't even take any notes. I've been trying to help them. And anyway, we had a, it was almost a stand-up row in the street. Instantly, no, 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 no. You can go back to Wales, but I'm staying in London. I've got to find out who killed Daniel. And uh, Justin, he said to my husband, you take Mum and Jane to Wales, but I'm not coming with you. Oh, well, yes, we need you, Alistair. We need you to help us deal with this. And no, 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 you must be insane. Don't even think it. And of course, he's backing away from us and waving his arms. So we're not in the garden anymore. We're in the street in the dark, still trying to persuade him to come to Wales with us and failing miserably. Because they were worried that I was purportedly messing up the investigation and I was saying, no, all I've been doing is trying to help the police. Then he just said, no, right, I'm, and walked off. So we went back into the house and then we had to go to Wales. We've got to go to Wales now. We've backed ourselves right into a, a corner. So we went to Wales. Little did they know that the day after Jane went back with her mother to Wales and Alistair was exiled to Hampshire, Detective Sergeant Sid Fillery was suspended from the murder squad for his close connections to Jonathan Rees. One morning, it must have been about three weeks after the murder, I got a phone call from a friend. He said, Alistair, they've arrested six people in connection with your brother's murder. It was like a bombshell because that's the second time I've heard this name. So I just rushed out to the local newsagent and grabbed all, every single paper that, I, that was on sale. And the first time is he wants the family to get Alistair out of London. In one of them, and it was actually the Daily Star, which is not a paper that I read, I bought everything, but in this particular paper, it named all the people who'd been arrested. He's been arrested in connection with Daniel Skilling. They'd arrested... Jonathan Rees, his two brothers-in-law, uh, Glenn and Gary Vian, three police officers, one of whom was Detective Sergeant Sid Fillery. Next week, what happens with the arrests of Rees and Fillery? A funeral, a secret press campaign, and a TV reconstruction of the murder, which goes horribly awry. Episode 2 was supported by GMB West. Produced by Peter Dukes and Devia Mir. Soundtrack by Shemaili Mir. A Flameflower Duende production. And remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen on the Acast app, and get extra images and background notes alongside the audio, or visit untoldmurder.com. Hold on by the Lemmingtons. Out of the shop. Down the fire escape onto the street There's a steel rail you can reach It's not just you, you know Now the whites of your knuckles are starting to show The whites of your knuckles are starting to show And you're hanging over the side Till there's nothing left inside
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.